different places. You can throw the PowerPoint up. What we're talking about today is love, romance, and reality, okay? Uh, love is a real thing. Romance is a real thing. But then there's reality. Reality, well, that's the thing. Reality shouldn't hit us as hard as it often does. We should be living in reality. The only time reality is this huge surprise to us is when we've been living in some other world that, in fact, doesn't exist. We're following our own ideas or imagination instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. And so the reality, and as we talked about last week in Ephesians chapter 2, the whole thing over the next couple of weeks as we look at these different topics uh, that we know are out there, but no one wants to address, right? You've heard the whole story, the elephant in the room. There's this huge, gigantic thing, but no one wants to talk about it. Well, the Bible talks about it. God talks about it. And we're not supposed to be ashamed of the gospel or afraid of anything. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of peace, love, and of a sound mind. And so we're going to tackle these things and see what God says, because we seek first the kingdom of God. And um, like last week when we looked at this whole opening thing, we're not going to look at it from the perspective of the world, the perspective of a student, the perspective of uh, a soccer player or a football maniac. We're going to look at it from the perspective of a Christian. Well, what, what is that? That you are God's masterpiece. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? You are his workmanship or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. And here's the focus. Four good works. Four good works. It's not to run around and do what the world does or to do what you want. There is a plan and there is a purpose. And when we're called to walk the road, you guys know, right? It's not broad, but it is what? It's narrow. I like narrow roads because it's hard to get lost. You just stay on the narrow path. It's very easy. It's not always uh, attractive. It's not always flat and simple, but it is easy to know where to go. So we're going to look at these things and talk about it. I'm going to try and either end a little bit early, or if you guys want to ask questions in the middle of it, uh, bring it up, all right? We're going to talk about some different things about these topics, but you are God's masterpiece. And so as being created by God, and you are his masterpiece, remember it's one of a kind, irreplaceable, uh, yeah, it's amazing. You are a one of a kind, irreplaceable, limited edition, put your name. I'm a limited edition, one of a kind, never to be replaced, David Axe. There's never going to be another one like me, just like you. We talked about last week that you could have the Mona Lisa up here, the original one, right? You wouldn't run up and pour gasoline all over it or cut it up. You wouldn't uh, throw it in the fire or you wouldn't, you would, you treat it magnificently or you might put it behind glass or you put it there to protect it because it's one of a kind. It can't, you could try and repaint it, but you'll never get quite right. And so when we look at the word of God, what he gives us instruction to do isn't just what's wrong, 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 but how to preserve what he has done. And part of what he has done is you, you're his masterpiece. And so oftentimes we see the Bible's don'ts as these bad things when in fact they're really just there to protect what God loves most, and that's you. As he sets these things up in our lives, they're for a purpose and that we would be his masterpiece and we would walk into the things that he's planned for us, good works, all right? Um, let's pray. We're going to just talk and have a little bit of fun with this one. Lord, we thank you for this day. And uh, Lord, that you'd keep us focused. Lord, our hearts would be open. Uh, and Lord, there's going to be a lot of different emotions and thoughts. And Lord, would you just be working right now, we pray. Lord, through your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, what's... One of the first people you think of when you think of a relationship, guy, girl, they like each other. Um, who's some of the, what's one of the first couples that comes into your mind? Adam and Eve. That's definitely the first one that pops into my mind. I was surprised last week, a couple different groups of people said something totally different. Who's someone else that comes into your mind? Samson and Delilah. They were the first one for a lot of people. You have another one? Who? Mom and dad, okay, but they're not in the Bible, I don't think, unless they're really old. Um, but we have Adam and Eve, and we have Samson and Delilah, and we're going to look at both of them for a second, and then we'll look, oh, you got another one? Joseph and Mary, it's an awesome one, it's a very good one, uh, unique, unique relationship. Ruth and Boaz, definitely, um, you know what Boaz was before he met Ruth, right? He was ruthless. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah, and you have Isaac and Rebecca. 
Um, so let's take the first two, though, the, the most popular ones that you guys brought up. We have Samson and Delilah. We have Adam and Eve. Um, by the way, flip your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be there in a little while, but may as well get there ahead of time so we're ready to roll. Just slightly after the Gospels. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Samson and Delilah. I don't know which one was worse. Samson, a uh, man of God, an amazing calling on his life, a very unique calling on his life. Delilah, oh, a, a massive problem in Samson's life. She must have been incredibly attractive and beautiful. She knew what words to use to convince him to do really stupid things. And she probably took really good care of him, which is why he loved her so much. Uh, but a unique relationship. Samson, if you guys know anything about him, hopefully you guys do, used by God to do incredible things, had this calling on his life since before he was born. Now, part of the sign of that was that no razor was to ever come to his hair. He was never to get a haircut, all right? And so he has this gnarly long hair. I would do this if I wasn't married. That's why I got married young, so I don't have stupid hair probably. But uh, it says that it ratted up into dreadlocks, and he basically had seven, just seven huge dreadlocks. If you can take your hair and put it into seven big clumps, this man, uh, a warrior, took out a thousand people at once with his hands. It's an amazing guy. And then he meets Delilah, right? Cute little Delilah. Now, the interesting thing about Delilah is that she didn't really hold much back. If you read about it, it's in the book of Judges. I think it's chapter 16 or right around there. She begins to tell him, because she's been hired by the enemy to help assassinate him and capture him, she tells him, Samson, you're so big and strong. Right, flattery. How, how can I bind you so that, so that pain could be inflicted upon you? If a girl comes up to you, gentlemen, and says, what's, what's, where's your strength? What's your secret so that I could capture you and inflict pain upon you? Wouldn't you be like, I'm out! <laughs> like, you are crazy. I'm gone. Well, he starts telling her this series of lies. Okay? He, he, he's not obviously an upstanding guy in this moment. He's like, something's off here. And he says, oh, well, you can bind me up with fresh bowstrings, you know, from a bow and arrow, seven of them, and, and that'll get me. And so he wakes up, and the Bible says, and so she did it. She did it. So he wakes up. Now, if you told this girl, and you wake up bound in strings, wouldn't you think, oh, she's actually crazy? <laughs> not only did she want to know, but now I know she wanted to kill me. But that was, it was a lie. So he's like, breaks open, busts up the bad guys. Well, she comes back and says, you lied to me. Well, yeah. Oh, my gosh, you lied to me. He's like, okay, fine. Get ropes that have never been used and bind me with those. So he wakes up, and guess what she did? She did it again. So it's not really his weakness. He busts out of it. He's like, oh, he-man, busts everybody up. She comes, and she's just full-blown throws his temper tantrum. She tells him, read it. She says, I can't believe you even say you love me. Wouldn't you be like, I can't believe you say you love me. You've tried to capture me twice. What's up with this? She says, you don't even really love me. He says, okay, take my hair and weave it through, braid it through a, a loom where they make, like, tapestries and stuff, and it'll get stuck in there. He's getting closer to his weakness. Interesting. And, and, and he wakes up, and she took his hair and wove it through this huge loom, and now he's stuck to it. But it's not his weakness, so he rips out of it, busts up the bad guys. Now, okay, three times in a row. Wouldn't you be like, okay, that's it, I'm breaking up with you. She comes, and she says, she pressed, she pressed. Samson, Samson, tell me, come on, tell me. Don't you love me? Don't you love me? I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me your weakness. Tell me your weakness so that we can inflict pain upon you and capture you. And tell me, tell me how I can kill you. And so he tells her. It seems legit, right? She's not lying. And so over the next few years of his life, he's captured. They rip the eyes out of his face. Read it, probably with a hot sword or something. What's the point? There's a lot of things you can learn from Samson. One of them, though, that's interesting, there is something unique when we talk about these romantic relationships, okay? Uh, these boyfriend, girlfriend, fuzzy-wuzzy feelings, uh, butterflies, and Cupid with chocolate roses and whatnot. 
Um, look, oh, no, no, it's, all, it's not the same. It's not the same. Look, if your friend came to you and said, hey, how do I bind you up so I can kill you? Be like, hey, step off, right? You don't do that. No one in your family does that. And if they did, you wouldn't be like, oh, well, here you go. But then in comes a girl. And the guys go stupid. There's something unique. You can't deny it. There is something unique about a relationship between a guy and a girl that doesn't happen within the context of friendship or family. But when you step into this kind of unexplored romantic relationship, your brain goes stupid. And it's awesome. The Bible has been proven true over and over again by the biology and the study of science that literally during that time in which you first are introduced to that girl or ladies to that guy, your mind starts working in a totally different way, starts producing different hormones and chemicals, and you literally go blind to people's imperfections. That's why you think they're perfect. It's amazing. You're literally love blind. You literally go stupid. Your brain doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And so you think they're perfect, and they're not. You just think they are. But isn't it funny how... If you meet someone in a bad relationship, maybe you guys have had friends that are in a relationship with someone and they're like, man, that guy doesn't treat you very nice. Like, dude, that girl, she owns you. What is up with that? They don't see it. They'll defend them. They'll stand up for them. They'll be, it's, it's what, what's happening? There's a very unique dynamic within that relationship. And that's what we needed to address this morning and talk about and look at a little bit because overwhelmingly the odds are that all but about nine of you will be in a very unhealthy relationship before you're married. Statistically, 97% of Americans will have sex before they're married and be in unhealthy relationships. In that room, that means nine of you will make it to your wedding day the way that God intended. The rest of you will not. That's crazy. What's going on? It's like, oh, well, that's weird, awkward. I don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it. It's destroying homes. It's destroying lives. It's creating bad patterns. Now, you look at Adam and Eve. You look at Adam and Eve. It's a little bit of a different story. Yet she still had the ability to influence her husband in a bad way. Right? He knew what was happening. He wasn't, oh, what's this? I've never seen this before. He knew, hey, hey, you're not supposed to touch that. There's a bite taken out of it. What, what did you do? You should try it. Okay. Like, what, what? Come on. But, but they were way better off than Samson and Delilah. I think it's interesting and awesome to watch is how God brings people together. All right. And for a couple minutes, this is what I want to talk to you guys about. And we'll, we'll shift and talk about different things. But how does God bring people together the right way? Not the wrong way. Samson and Delilah, wrong way. We have all kinds of examples, the wrong way. What's the right way, right? When, how do you find God's person in God's timing? Well, you do it God's way. A lot like Adam and Eve, you look at it. God was so in that. When it happened, God said, now this, ha this is very good. This is awesome. This is great. So what does God say a romantic kind of relationship looks like when God says, this is awesome? Well, if you look at the part where God begins to create Adam and he, he comes to life and he goes through this series of naming the animals and searching the earth and all this cool stuff happens, and God says, man, that guy needs some help. He needs someone comparable to him, but he's not good on his own. He needs a little guidance. So he falls asleep and he takes like, a rib, and we know the story. He brings Eve over and they're introduced and they immediately at first sight fall in love and they go and get married and have kids and uh, happily ever after, except one of the brothers kills the other brother and, and nor normal family stuff, right? <laughs> kind of is. So how does God bring two people together in a way that he says, this is right? You might not do everything right, but this is right. How does he do that? Well, look at the story. What did he do? I don't know about you guys. Um, he does not introduce us to a variety of people so that we can pick our favorite. There was no bachelor or bachelorette in the beginning of the Bible. Right? There's not. It wasn't Adam and Steve and Joe and Daniel and Tom and 
Jerry and whatever. And it wasn't, you know, uh, Tanya and Jill and Eve and Susie and Diane. You with me? And he wasn't like, hey, Adam, I want you to go hook up with all these girls and pick your favorite. He didn't. Yet we treat each other and the world and as if the Lord doesn't really care if we run around and sample a bunch of different personalities and people and lifestyles and we do it all oh, that way I know what kind of person I want to marry are you out of your mind doesn't that's not how it works God brought the right person and by the way it was at the right time how do you know when it's time when God brings them well I want one now well no sorry not time. When is it going to be time? Everyone always wants to know, and one of the questions that come up, how old can I be to start dating? How old do I have to be before I start dating? How old, how, how, how old? When God brings you the right person. So, so 17. Maybe for some of you. When I'm 20? Maybe. Some of you, you won't be ready for the right person until you're 30. I, I don't know. Your walk with God's got to be right before you can start walking with somebody else. Do you understand? You cannot walk with somebody else until you're walking with God. It's impossible. So when is the right time? When God brings the right person. And we are so committed to, and we'll get into this in a minute. I think I figured out part of it for a little bit, at least, of us. Our generation is changing. Things are very different now. But notice, it wasn't that Eve was placed out in creation somewhere. Okay, Eve. Somewhere out there is someone for you. Try and find her. Go! And God was bored, so he watched him go on this little scavenger hunt, looking under rocks behind trees and running up mountains and snorkeling down into the ocean. Like, where is she? Adam just did what he was supposed to do until at the right time, God brought the right person. Right? Isn't that how the story goes? And so why do we spend so much energy and emotion and time Looking and wondering, is it them? Is it them? Is it him? Is it her? Could it be? 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 What if God said, hey, would you just get your eyes off of what could be and wait for what will be and for now do what you're called to do? We don't have to burn ourselves out wondering who it's going. God will bring the right person at the right time if we're doing the right thing. Adam was doing the right thing. God gave him a responsibility, and he did it. And then he got to take a nap, and he woke up and had a bride. Like, awesome! Is it really that simple? It really, really is. If we do it God's way, it's not much harder than that. It's not that difficult. You look at Samson and Delilah, don't ever think that, oh, well, we're just going to be a normal relationship. There is danger within the relationship uh, or a romantic relationship. Um <clears throat> Gosh, it's wild. You know the, how many of you guys go to Disneyland regularly? Less, praise the Lord. Um, you guys go to like the LA County Fair, the Orange County Fair? Like fairs? There's merry-go-rounds. You know the little dragon ride that goes around? Kids sitting in it, they think they're on like Supreme Scream or, and it's just like. Right? seen it so many times over and over and over and over and over again and we innocently go down a path we don't understand i don't think people wake up one day and say hey i'm gonna have a have a boyfriend or i'm gonna go find a girlfriend so that we can start making out that's not the intent that's really the intent the intent is whoa she's pretty i like her because i don't know what liking people feels like but i feel something different so that must be what it means to like somebody and I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to go make a fool out of myself and hope it works. That's kind of how it goes. And then, right, she's flattered by your ridiculous move, and all of a sudden, the merry-go-round begins to go, or the roller coaster begins to move. And you're like, we would never do anything but hold hands. That's, that's it. All right, I mean, I can't, like... 
It's not like, you know, in, in Ezra chapter 3, it says, do not hold thy hand of thy woman. Like, you can't say, oh, don't, oh, my gosh. All right. Is that okay? Can I hold hands? Don't all you start walking out of your holding hands, by the way. Now, today you're like, I would never, I'm going to put this line in the sand, and I would never cross the line of holding hands. But here's the problem. You go on the merry-go-round, or that little dragon ride, about 15, 20 times, and you're like, dude, I went off. Why? It's boring. You're on a dumb little horse, like, do 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 when you were a kid, ha, ha, oh, oh, hey, one more time. But it, the way that God wired us, things become normal. And everything, with roller coasters, with birthday presents, with our favorite food, if we eat it too much, we don't like it anymore. It's our favorite song. We listen to it too much. It's not our favorite anymore. We're kind of sick of it, right? That's how it works in everything. And so you start holding hands, but we'll never go across that line. For at least two months. But you don't know that because you're on day one. But then two months comes and you're like, I think that line can move. Hey, sweet. I mean, I put the line there. I can move it, right? It's the worst thing about making your own rules is you're the one that is the rule maker so you can push it as far as you want. When you let God set the rules, it's kind of hard. You ever try and push a wall? It doesn't go anywhere. It's like, Lord, can I? It's not that when, and answer me if I'm wrong, but it's not that when you're a born-again believer and you've committed your life to Christ, it's not that the desires just go away. But it's that when you try and push through them, God says, no, this is where we stop. And your flesh can want, I want, but I'm committed to Christ, and so this is where I have to stop. But if it's our line, we kick it, well, now we just give an awkward hug, right? It's like, and then you give her the peck on the cheek. And then you give her the kiss goodbye. And then, you with me? Oh, this is where we draw the line. Yeah, for another two months. Well, we would never, it's just, it's not that big of a deal, you know. Just kick that line when no one's looking a little deeper. It's how it works. And so when we step into, or if you ever deceive yourself into thinking, hey, I can be in this relationship and not fall. I can have a girlfriend or I can have a boyfriend and not stumble into sexual immorality. You have deceived yourselves. You have. You were never meant, God never intended you for you to work that way. It's awesome. We're told all the time, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Don't, don't you kiss, don't you hug, don't you have sex before you're married, don't do any of these things. Aren't we told that? I hope you guys are told that, because you shouldn't. But we're told it so much as if it's this evil, nasty, dark thing that's going to bite and kill you. Right? And you're like, well, you just told us it was like a grizzly bear. No, the temptation is. God says, no, kissing is fine. Holding hands is awesome. All of this stuff is great. He told Adam and Eve, go fill the world. It's good when it's done God's way. It's good when it's done God's way. When it's not, everything slowly begins to fade away and fall apart. You, you guard what you cherish. That's why we have cases on our phones we have locks on our doors. So we put our money in the bank. Whatever you cherish, whatever you care about, you take care of, right? You can find out real quickly what people like or don't like by how they take care of it. I think too often we don't live for what's to come because we don't think about it. How much, let me ask you today right now, how much do you love, cherish, take care of, and commit yourself to your future wife, gentlemen? What? Ladies, how much do you love and cherish and commit yourself to your husband? You're like, I've dreamt of the wedding and the dress and the ring and the flowers and the place. The guy, 
is irrelevant. You just plug them into the whole thing. I got everything else figured out. You're wrong, by the way. A dress doesn't make a wedding. Roses don't make a wedding. The husband and the wife make the wedding. And so, look, if we have this idea or the absence of an idea in our mind, we'll live for anything. Oh, this is fun. This is entertaining. This is exciting. This is new. And, oh, but it got boring. Let's move the line a little bit and keep going. Would you keep going if you thought, man, what if I had to tell my husband about this? What if I had to tell my wife about this? For most of us, I think we'd stop. But because we don't think long-term, in God's term, for God's kingdom, we live for our own little lives, we invest into the now. I can tell you, it stinks. The reality, I don't think, it's really weird. I don't think my wife would say this, but I would say this. I will say this. Because I know. For guys, for all the guys, where's the men? Well, I hope you're men. Not we've got to turn you into some. So here's the deal. It's a really difficult emotion to bring your wife flowers or your fiancé flowers when you've done it to ten other girls. It's just another act that you have to try and make her like you. And you'll realize after you've written those notes to each other, with a bunch of different people, that another note to another person, it's just a little bit of its value is gone. I've used these words before. I've written a poem before. I've done this before. And so you'll get to that point where you'll finally meet that right person at the right time, and God's going to say, this is awesome. And you're going to get there and say, well, I don't have much left. I kind of gave all of those things away. And I'm not even talking about making out or having sex before marriage, the little things. You realize, man, I burned up every little thing way before I got to the aisle because we weren't thinking about it. What if I had to go home today and tell my wife, hey, I bought some other girl flowers? <laughs> I get slapped and beat up and like, I don't know. I, I, man. Or hey, yeah, I held hands with some other girl today at church. I better be able to run faster than a bullet. Like, that's whatever. I don't know. And what you don't understand, I'm telling you right now, guys, there's that point in which right before you get married or shortly after that comes up, and it's like, oh, how many boyfriends did you have or how many girlfriends did you have? It's going to happen. And you have to tell her. Um, seven? Oh, wait, eight? Ah, it's bad if you can't remember. I think on average, people have like eight to ten romantic relationships before they graduate college. What? Some of you guys have already had two, three, four, five. I get it. I know. And it's a bummer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Obviously, talking about the entirety of it all, it says flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Abandon ship, retreat, just get out of there. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. There's something unique. And you cannot tell me I'm wrong. There is something unique about messing up in this way. God told Adam and Eve that once, once this happens, once you, this, you guys become one. And it's repeated over and over again throughout the New Testament that when a husband and a wife come together or when two people come together, they become one. And you cannot pull two things apart that have been joined together without damaging it. It's impossible. You can't. Try gluing two pieces of paper together and pulling it apart not going to work well, right? Try, imagine you get a heart transplant. It's like, dum, 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 dum. You had a bad heart, you get a new heart. Like, yeah, and you and that heart become one and it's working. And then someone's like, give me that heart back. What if you're like, no. And the surgeon's like, 
Shing! Yes! Because remember, you're talking about two people in a relationship. But God says, I have joined you together as one. And that when that doesn't work out, there is no clean way out at all. So people talk about all the time, right? Oh, safe sex, safe sex. There's no such thing. Why? It doesn't matter what happens physically, spiritually. You're bound to that person. And when they move, it tears you apart from the inside out. God says, please, flee sexual morality. The world says, oh, God doesn't want you to have any fun. Where does it say that? Proverbs chapter 5 says, man, I'm to be enraptured with the wife of my youth to enjoy and love and cherish and take care of, and I can kiss her, and I can hug her, and I, it's, he says, go for it, it's awesome. He says, when you get there, I don't want you to be messed up. I don't want you to be broken. Where does it say God's a, a party pooper? You are my masterpiece. I want to cherish and take care of you. First Thessalonians, you guys can flip over a little bit if you want to. All the T's are together. I love the way the Bible's put together. First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. It's awesome. Or sorry, starting in verse 3. We'll read down to 8. It says, For this is the will of God. For your sanctification, it means you, you purify yourself, you, you be his. That you should abstain or remove yourself from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, it means your body. You should know how to possess yourself. Your, your body does not own you, you own your body. You should know how to possess your own vessel, or your own body, in sanctification and in honor. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So don't start acting like the rest of the world, running around, being driven by your desires. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger. This is wild. The Lord is the avenger of such as we also forewarned you and testified. Isn't it crazy? Anytime some guy or some girl is trying to deceive the other one, just remember God says, I will defend her. I will take care of him, and you will answer to me. You need to pray for my daughters, Kaya and Ella-to-be. I think it's going to be Ella. Because someday some guy's going to like them, right? And then they're going to have to meet me. And I'm not sure how I'm going to act in that moment. I've been praying against it for years. Hoping the rapture happens before that time. <laughs> but I, I can't imagine if Kaya came running home and some guy mistreated her. I cannot imagine. I can't imagine. I, I cannot imagine. And if I love her this much being a sinful person saved by the grace of God... When God says, you mess with my daughter, I avenge her. What does that look like? See, I don't know. But gentlemen, you better be very careful with how you treat ladies. And ladies, don't you dare become a Delilah. All right? Because he loves us too. It's wild. It goes on last few verses says, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man. Meaning, at the end of today, you can be like, dude, that's stupid. Some of you might have a hard decision. Maybe you got a Valentine's lined up. Right? Or maybe you got a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You have a hard, you, know, you got a hard decision to make. I understand. Therefore, whoever rejects this does not reject man. You're not rejecting me, it says, but you are rejecting God who has given you the Holy Spirit. So you can tell God, I don't care what you say. You're stupid. I'm doing what I want. Just be very careful because it's a really bad idea. 
We're talking about all these things. If you guys have any questions, there is one thing I want to get at really badly. No way is it. Holy cow. How have we been talking about this for 45 minutes? Well, we're not stopping now. Matthew, chapter 22, verse 37. You guys know it very, very well. The greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. All of it. I can tell you now, our generation, you are living in the most broken generation in the last two, three, four hundred years. Meaning, there are more single-parent homes now, more kids born out of wedlock now. There is, there's, there's more brokenness in our culture than ever before in American history. Okay? And so I think when we talk about these people maybe not having, or they're, they're not waiting until they get married before they have sex, or they're having too many boyfriends and girlfriends, I don't think the pursuit are these greasy slimeball people just trying to deceive people into hooking up. I don't think that's it. There are some, but how'd they get there? They weren't born that. They didn't wake up at five years old and be like, ha ha, I'm going to have a bunch of girlfriends. <laughs> so r- you're with me, right? So what happens? I don't think people wake up to get hurt. That's not the goal, to become one with someone and tear it apart. They start off that first person that they, they come together with. It's not just this passion, there's something else that they're trying to fill. There's a brokenness that we're living in that our culture has never had to experience before. And so the desire for genuine love and acceptance and unity and oneness, those are all honorable things. I remember I had way, way too many girlfriends through junior high and high school. Messed up way too much but never was it to try and deceive somebody or for wrong intent it was genuinely at a young age could she be the one could she be the one is she the one is she there is this crazy desire in my heart for acceptance and love and understanding and compassion and i didn't understand that we're not to live for those things because those things will never be fulfilled in some other person. No guy will ever be able to love you that way, ladies. And gentlemen, no girl will ever be able to love you that way. No, but I really, I really care about them. I understand that. I do. I totally understand that. But I want to ask you something. Have you turned the idea of loving someone and being loved into the idol in your life? Not all idols look evil. That you're in this pursuit of what you think is an honorable thing. But what happens when you start pushing the line back a little too far? And you push it back farther? And in this honorable thing, you find out there's a whole lot of pain involved when you were a little kid your mom could probably get you to vacuum the whole house or your dad could get you to wash the whole car for a dollar right i got a dollar my kids were small i could give them a quarter they love to run to the store put two quarters in you crank it and get the little toy you know well nowadays you find a quarter who i mean yay a quarter woo like no big deal if I said, hey, who wants to wash my car after church for 50 cents? Be like, yeah, there's always a couple, right? You understand, why wouldn't you do that now? If I offered you 100 bucks, do I wash both your cars for 100 bucks? And I'll do one for half off, even. Why? Because as you've gotten older, you've understood the value of a dollar. When you're a kid, the dollar, it could be a, could be a $100 bill or a $1 bill. All you want is the candy. <laughs> they give you change, you're like, uh, okay, I just want the candy. Because you don't understand. You don't understand the value of a dollar bill. You're right, you agree? But you get older, all of a sudden it's like, oh, 
That's not as much as I thought it was. There's no way, in the same way you could hand a kindergarten kid a $100 bill and he'll treat it like a one. As my brothers and sisters in the Lord, I'm telling you right now, there is no way to truly understand the value of the kind of relationship we're talking about here until you grow and mature a little bit more. It's, you will. You're going to next year and the year after, and you'll meet that person in God's way and in God's time. It'll be God's person. You say, oh, this is the value of what we talked about. But we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And when God calls us into these things, he says, look, will you trust me? Will you walk with me? Because it's going to cause a little bit of faith. You may not understand it right away. It may not make perfect sense to you, but trust me, it's worth more than you could ever imagine. It's just a rose. It's just a note. It's just a peck on the cheek. I promise you, it is so much more. So much more. So what do we focus on? Right, it's easy to sit here and be like, dang, okay, maybe I need to take this a little more seriously. Maybe I need to think about this a little bit harder and really start living for something more than now. But how do you do that? I mean, that's hard. It's easy in the room. It's hard in the world, right? When the emotions actually kick in and that guy or girl actually walk by and then it's actually going down, you're like, oh, man. The sirens are going off. Like, stop, red light, warning. And you start crashing through the barricades. It's like the brakes go out sometimes. Like, you want to stop. And it's like, ah! You don't know how. What do you do? You have to have a foundation you can stand on. You have to. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. I think God made it easy for a reason. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Right? It's very, very simple. Second Timothy 2, 22. Flee or abandon youthful lusts. It's plural. For some of us, it's physical lust. That a, a genuine physical attraction. For others, it's that I, idol in your life of being loved and loving somebody else. It has to be God first. Anyone you love more than God has got to go, at least for a little while. Flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee the youthful desires for now. Let me ask you, you guys ever drive down the street and see a car broken down? There's all, every time the hood's open and a guy's standing over it as if he knew what to do. It's smoking, it's coming out, they're broken down, he's like, hmm. Not a mechanic. He's never worked on a car a day in his life. He's like, I could probably maybe fix this. What is this thing? And so on the side of the road, you're never going to learn how to fix anything on the side of the road. We're told pursue faith and righteousness and hope and all these things. Flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, flee youthful lust, pursue. Look at the list. So what if for the next four or five years, instead of looking for who the right person might be, you focus on becoming the right person? That instead of what kind of girl should I get, focus on what kind of man is my wife going to get one day and build yourself up now so that when you get married, it doesn't break down and you stand there like, okay, time to learn about marriage. No, dude, no. And ladies, not, oh, is he the one? Is he the one? He's so nice. He opened the door. So what? Satan would open the door for you if it worked. I'm serious. What if instead of chasing them around or trying to impress them and adorning yourself with all this stuff, trying to impress them, what if you just built yourself up to become 
the world's most amazing wife the world's ever seen. Because God doesn't put two things together that don't mix well. That if you become a godly man, gentlemen, don't worry. You'll get a godly woman. If you don't, good luck. Ladies, if you become a godly woman, all it does is filter out the trash. You won't get stuck with that jerk. You'll get stuck with God's best. It's amazing. So what if you committed the next couple of years? You know what? I'm going to set this stuff aside. I'm going to wait for God's timing. Does that make sense? I think we'll end with this. Maybe we did not have enough time for questions, huh? Although, you guys have questions? Yeah? What's up? Wedlock? Uh, it's just a big, long term for getting married. Uh, wedding, wed, and lock, like a commitment or a covenant, wedlock means you're locked into marriage, you're committed. Um, you've heard hear that term. Now look, the reality is odds here is that a, a decent percentage of you are already like, man, I already gave someone a rose, I already wrote the letter, I already kissed somebody, I already messed up. Well, me too. Everyone's messed up in some way. And the most amazing thing about the Lord the most amazing thing about the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He says, you give it to me? This isn't awesome. He says, your sins are like scarlet, like crimson red. You're like, I know, I hate it. God says, give them to me. I will wash you and make you as white as snow. He'll do it. I already messed up. It can be new today. It can be new today. He doesn't just forgive. He restores. He rebuilds. He heals the brokenhearted. It's amazing. That today you say, Lord, I'm giving you. I messed up, but this is it. I'm drawing the line in the sand. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to wait for your timing. God will so honor and bless it. I'm telling you. Beyond what anyone can tell you, I, I cannot even describe to you how good God is at restoring someone. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, Now the body is not for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Translation, you belong to God first. You belong to God first. Commit yourself to him. Commit your ways to him. Lean not on your own understanding. Last one for probably too many of us is Job chapter 31, verse 1. Maybe it starts here. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. My eyes and I, I don't know if you got a mirror and was like, all right, look, you. <laughs> That's probably maybe what we need to do. We've got to get a bunch of mirrors up here today. But he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I said, okay, you and I, we've got to come to a little understanding here because we're not getting along so well. You guys ever do something you know is wrong and you don't want to do it, but you do it anyways? Give you a, a simple glance or a look, or you go back and do something you swore you wouldn't do again. Job says, all right, look, you, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? He says, I've made this agreement. My eyes and I, we're going to get along, and we're not giving into temptation. We're not going to be looking at the wrong things on the computer or cruising through things on the phone or chasing after people. None of it. Because it all counts. It all counts. Today, maybe some of you need to say, that's it. Today, I'm making a covenant with my eyes and a commitment to Christ. Say, Lord, I'm giving you everything I have, though it is crimson red. Make me white as snow. See what he does. And do me a favor. Call me on like your 10-year wedding anniversary because you're going to have the most amazing marriage ever and I want to hear about it. I want to hear about it. All right, let's pray. Father, you are so good. But to love us 
to hold us, to take care of us. Lord, though we (laughs) see clearly, Lord, we are your masterpiece. Lord, we kind of abused it a little. Maybe didn't understand it or lost track of it. And so today, Lord, we need you to lead us like never before. Lord, to guard us like never before, to give us the strength like never before. Lord, those that maybe this morning say, I'm a little bit broken. It's like maybe I'm a little bit lost right now. Lord, in only the way that you can, restore. Before we worship, keep your eyes shut. This is between you and the Lord. And every time I say that, there's someone that looks up. Do not look up. right now, I want to give you the opportunity. I'm not going to do anything weird, ask you to come up here, nothing. But to tell the Lord, Lord, today I've messed up, but I'm starting new. Forgive me. Today, I'm making a covenant with my eyes and a commitment to Christ. If that's you today, you want to start over, just raise your hand really high. All we're going to do is pray for you. All right? Awesome. the rest of you, maybe you're not messed up. Maybe you haven't fallen short. But today, you want to make that commitment. Lord, guard me for the next couple of years, all the way until the wedding day. Guard me. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand real high. Right on. This is between you and God. But I want you to know that you know that today you made that decision. Father, Lord, as we close in this song, Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, grow these women (laughs) into the most radical wives you will have ever seen. And Lord, for these men, that they would possess their own vessels, their bodies. God, they'd be full of valor and honor and, Lord, truth. Lord, they'd be leaders. Lord, fill them with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.